Welcome everyone to Ask NRCAN. We have a really interesting episode for you today. We're going to be talking about climate change geoscience. Now, before we begin, for those of you who are new to this podcast, what we do on the show is we discuss a topic related to the work that we do here at Natural Resources Canada, or NRCAN, because we're the government of Canada and we love our acronyms. So we introduce a topic, we discuss it with one of our NRCAN experts, and then we look to you to continue the conversation over social media. At the end of the episode, if you have any questions for us on today's topic, we want you to go on Twitter and tweet at us using the hashtag AskNRCAN. Our expert will do his or her best to answer all relevant questions. Sounds good? Okay, let's get started. Joining us today in our lavish Ask NRCAN uh, studio is research scientist Peter Morse. Peter, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing today? I'm great. Okay, let's uh, jump into it. Sure. Um, let's start with the basics. What is climate change geoscience? Well, it's geoscience. We're studying um, the Earth in, in many different components. The reason why we're doing this is um, in terms of the, the climate change geoscience program is that natural resource development in northern coastal areas, well, those are, they're vulnerable to climate change. And another problem there is that there's relatively limited information about those landscapes and those settings. So if you're going to have natural resource development and have it be sustainable, we need improved geoscience information. I see. Yeah. Um, so here at Natural Resources Canada, you and your colleagues, what's, what's your role? Like how, what do you do in terms of climate change geoscience? Day to day, as a research scientist, um, I plan out research activities to address some of the, the knowledge gaps that we have. I'm uh, working within a project that is called Supporting Adaptation in Permafrost Regions. And so this project has three main components. One is to improve the Canadian permafrost map. Um, the map that we have right now it's very broad scale. It's not that useful for detailed work, and so we're, we're working on improving the permafrost map. Um, and that's taking advantage of much better data sets now, improved modeling approaches, uh, and that sort of thing. So for, for permafrost, what exactly is that for, for those of us who are not familiar with? Oh, sure, yeah. So permafrost is just a temperature condition of the ground. So it means that the ground stays at or below zero degrees Celsius for two or, two or more years. That's the general definition. What's interesting about permafrost, though, is because it's below zero, if there's water in the ground, it's actually ice. And so in many places, particularly in the Western Canadian Arctic, there's actually a lot of ice in the ground in this permafrost. And you, know, you might contrast with that with a place like um, you know, the North Slave region north of Yellowknife. If you picture the Canadian Shield, you can have permafrost there, but it's primarily in rock. And so if any infrastructure that you build there, it'll be relatively stable with, uh, you know, no matter what the, the climate conditions are. But relatively speaking, if you're building infrastructure to support communities or uh, industrial development, whatever, um, and you build it over permafrost that has a lot of ice in it, you can get into problems. Um, and this is what I'm interested in is, um, what are the permafrost conditions that could be a problem? Because if you know where problem areas are, then you can start making uh, better informed decisions about adaptation and trying to develop more resilient infrastructure. Okay, so when you, yeah. you build uh, a building or a road on top of permafrost, um, how does that impact the permafrost? Like, is it 
does it war warm it up? Does it affect it differently? Like, are you worried about something like an external factor like climate change affecting the permafrost and then it affects the structure? Like, what's... Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, permafrost is, uh, it's there because, broadly, because of climate. Or cold air temperatures all year round. You have really cold winter air temperatures and basically cooler summer air temperatures. So the farther north you go, the more widespread uh, permafrost is. So if um, you have climate warming or you know time over time gradual warming, then permafrost temperatures increase. So right now in the Western Canadian Arctic, air temperatures are, are warming. Um, and in terms of uh, the rate that air temperatures are warming there compared to the global average warming, it's actually even a higher rate. So they're warming quickly in the Western Arctic. Um, so the landscape there, the permafrost there, is responding already. Uh, we see uh, increased activity in things that we call um, retrogressive thaw slumps. It looks like a landslide. It's not, but it looks like it. And it's basically because you are uh, thawing permafrost that has a lot of ice in it. And so you start having materials moving around there. So there is this background of climate change, and it is affecting permafrost conditions. But on top of that, there's a brand new 120-kilometer highway that has just been built. Well, it'll be finished uh, mid-November, so probably will be finished by the time this goes to air. Uh, it's a, a brand new 120-kilometer highway, and it goes from Inuvik to Tuktoyaktuk on the uh, Beaufort Sea. Okay, and you were involved in that uh, in that process, where you just well, studied the grounds. What? Or? Okay, so this goes back to the, your your question about you know what happens when you build on permafrost. Mm -hmm. So against this background of climate change, you now have a road that's been built on top of permafrost. And so putting anything on top of permafrost changes the relation between the cold air, you know, air temperatures and permafrost. Because again, it's because you have a cold climate, that's why you have permafrost. So anything that changes that relation, whether you put a, a road on top of the ground or, you know, snow depth increases everywhere by 50 centimeters. Or so. But anyway, anytime you change that, you're going to change how uh, permafrost, you'll change permafrost temperatures. And that's important because if the permafrost is close to zero and putting a road on or something like that ends up causing ground temperatures to increase and you start thawing permafrost, and if the permafrost has lots of ice in it, well, the road won't be very stable. My job, um, you know, I'm not an engineer. I wasn't involved in the construction of the highway at all. But what I am interested in is um, the ov overall how the landscape in that region will change. And I'd like to be able to produce information that can help decision makers, planners, engineers um, improve existing infrastructure and anything new. Uh, you know, th this is the this is the highway. It's just been built. And I, we can well imagine that in the future there will be possibly spur roads here and there for who knows what kind of, of uh, development or activities, right? This is a, a, a big way to open up the, that part of the world. Okay, this is really interesting research. Um, so in this situation with your work on the road, did you learn something specific? Did you get any sort of new information that can be used uh, for future infrastructure projects in the north or in the regions? Or? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is the project officially started last spring. And so the project, I'm working very, very closely with, uh, in collaboration with the Northwest Territories Geological Survey. And I kind of think of this as almost a, a partner project. 
And one of the first things that we got support for doing was to drill a number of boreholes. And so bar it's literally drilling a hole in the ground to sample permafrost. And the hole in, in the ground is about six inches in diameter. And we, over the, we got 16 boreholes and we retrieved about 190 meters of permafrost. And the, the great thing from my perspective about these is we were able to basically take a, literally take a tile saw, a big one, cut these cores in half and we can archive half of them for other work. Meanwhile, we took the other half and we're doing all kinds of stuff with them to learn about the different materials, the amount of ice, the water chemistry, all of these things. And so there's still results coming back from the lab. But what we did see was a huge variety of different surficial uh, materials. Those are the materials laid down on the ground surface. And within those, lots of variation in the ground ice content. And uh, we're interested in this, again, because broadly, if this landscape starts to warm up, permafrost thaws and the ice melts, there's implications for uh, the highway. But when this permafrost melts, um, there will be changes in water chemistry as, it, as the water runs off of the land. And those changes in chemistry will relate directly to the chemistry of the ice in the permafrost. So by learning as much as we can about the permafrost conditions, we can then work with um, ecologists, uh, biologists, etc., to help them figure out what are the other effects that permafrost degradation or permafrost thaw might have in this region. So it really is, uh, these boreholes um, really will be a keystone uh, data set in this region. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of other boreholes that have been drilled in this region, to, which is amazing, but they've been drilled to support uh, oil and gas exploration um, uh, when they were proposing to develop the Mackenzie Valley gas pipeline. There were holes there. So there are lots of data that have been put together, but not in this much detail. And so we want to use these boreholes that we've uh, worked on to tie in everything else. The other thing that we're doing with these is once you have a hole, we put a, basically a whole bunch of ther thermometers down the <laughs> hole to measure temperatures because that's the other component of permafrost. It doesn't matter how much ice you have in it. If it's cold, it's cold. But if the ground temperatures are changing, they're, get, they're increasing, and the permafrost is getting close to thawing, that's what we're very interested in. So all of these holes have been instrumented to measure ground temperatures. I see. So it's not just about the existing permafrost, but its behavior as well that you're trying That's to exactly. Okay. The, and if we step back again, um, and I'm going to talk about the Western Arctic because that's near and dear to my heart, um, it is a very dynamic landscape that has been shaped um, by several past processes, um, like long, long time ago, it was a delta. It has since been covered by, you know, it was at the edge of, of the last uh, continental glaciation. So there's uh, artifacts and effects from that, legacy effects from that. There's been deglaciation. Permafrost has grown. There are all different kinds of, of landscape shaping processes that, that have gone on over time. So um, it's, this, it's this dynamic environment, and it is still changing. But the way that it will change is primarily a function of the permafrost, the permafrost temperatures, and the ground ice content. So in terms of generating new geoscience knowledge, that's my focus because it can inform many other people doing research and uh, making decisions on, on how to develop sustainable infrastructure to support communities and industry.
it seems like it's very um, very interesting and important research. Um, I want to go off on, on, on this last question. Sure. Um, not specifically about what you do, but what your colleagues do as well. Mm -hmm. So um, for, for climate change geoscience, do you do something beyond permafrost as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're talking about climate change. And so um, changing temperature, uh, changing precipitation, so snow um, versus rainfall, um, and then in the Arctic, of course, there's changing sea ice patterns and those sorts of things. So all the activities that we're working, or all the projects that we've developed within the climate change program address many of those dis different subjects. So there's another uh, project, which is the supporting adaptation in uh, coastal regions. And within that, there is an activity that looks at uh, sea level projections. Um, because if you have uh, a rising sea level, and there's a number of reasons why, at a specific coastline, shoreline is ri or the the, the um, sea level is rising, and so we want to know why. Because if you live at the coast and the shoreline is eroding, and you have property or your town hall or your port or whatever is getting filled with sediment, you know there's lots of reasons why you'd want to know about um, sea level rise, mm -hmm. and and then you know the coastal dynamics there. Um, what are the feedbacks between rates of erosion and relative sea level rise and that sort of thing. And ultimately, then there's always a big picture component, and so there's CanCoast indices, and that basically is trying to develop this national database of essentially the relative rates of coastal retreat, and basically it'll point, uh, point out a lot of the, uh, the really problematic areas along the Canadian coast. A third project with, within this iteration, yeah, I can't, I said iteration, within this <laughs> <laughs> version of the Climate Change Geoscience yeah. Program is uh, looking at extreme events. And so it's basically adapting um, or advancing climate adaptation through improving drought indices and being able to um, better improve flood forecasts. So those, those, uh, some of those uh, activities, one of them focuses on flood forecasting in Hudson Bay lowlands. And then um, there's also a, a, an activity there to uh, reconstruct past um, hydroclimatic, um, uh, the past hydroclimate in the central Labrador, uh, Quebec Peninsula area and northern Manitoba. So there, there are a number of different activities that, that we uh, are undertaking within the Climate Change Geoscience Program. I'm one of the permafrost researchers, but there are uh, researchers from a number of different backgrounds. This is one of the neat things, actually, I think about the Climate Change Geoscience Program, is um, how, how many different people from different backgrounds are working together to solve these, these uh, problems. And I was thinking about a paper that, I was, that we're getting ready to submit, and that if I was writing it on my own, it would, wouldn't be nearly as good as uh, having worked with these internal collaborators. And the other great thing about um, our climate change geoscience program is we are encouraged uh, to work with many outside collaborators. And it's the same thing. The benefit that we get from working with, with other people and other communities brings a lot of new ideas to inform our science. But it also means that once we learn something, um, we're able to share that information as broadly as possible. I don't know how many people, uh, besides researchers, sit down and read journal articles. <laughs> um, you know, in terms uh, that they, they count, you they get they get you know when I when I'm uh, going for uh, when I'm developing my career, it counts how many articles I have. But really, 
most people are interested in, in what we're doing and how does it affect their lives. And so by working with our networks of people, um, we try hard to share information as broadly as possible. And this is one way I'm doing it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's the perfect way, I think, to end, uh, end this interview. So, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, demystify all of this for us. My uh, absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Perfect. So now's the point of the episode where we ask you, the listeners, to continue the conversation with us over social media. If you have any questions for Peter uh, or if you have comments on the episode, we'd like you to get on Twitter and tweet at us using the hashtag AskNRCAN. We also wanted to let you know that we, we've just launched Simply Science. It's Natural Resources Canada's new online scientific magazine. The focus of the magazine is to profile the science that we do here in the department, as well as the people that do it, like, like, like Peter. Um, we'll be using videos, podcasts like this one, and articles to make our science engaging and accessible to everyone. Um, we don't have the specific URL at the time that we were recording this, but I'm sure you can find Simply Science on our website at nrcan.gc.ca or on our Twitter page at, at nrcan. Uh, you might want to check out Simply Science as well because we'll have um, a, a podcast article up specifically on climate change geoscience and we'll link to any interesting material or relevant material so you can do your research and then send in your questions. Um, well, I think that's it for today. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you're listening on to us on iTunes, please consider subscribing so you can check on any, any previous or future episodes. We look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next time. 